For the sake of time today, I'm going to just jump right into the message by reading from a classic passage. Many of you will know in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament where the writer is comparing the Christian faith to a race that we run. Here's what it says, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, in our I Quit series uh, during the season of Lent a few weeks ago, I talked one week about how at some point in life you have to decide to stop running from God. Well, today I want to kind of flip that around. I want to talk about the power that allows us to run with God every day. The writer says, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. In other words, just keep running. Just keep running. Just don't quit because when you're running a race, although the start can be lots of fun, what matters in the race is how you finish. It's really one of the great images of Scripture, this image of a race. So I did a little research this past week. Anybody here have any idea how many on average run in the Los Angeles Marathon alone, just in the L.A. Marathon? Over 25,000 people, 25,000 brave, motivated, skinny, masochistic, (laughs) overachieving people. (laughs) And as you can imagine being in California, some of these people are a little out of the ordinary. There was a guy in the race who actually ran with clown makeup on. He called himself Tebow the Clown. Another guy dressed himself up as a flower, called himself Flower Man. There were 13 people who ran the race hooked together in a specially designed costume as a human centipede. They ran the entire L.A. Marathon. Now here's the deal. The start of the race was fun. (laughs) Tebow the Clown was shaking hands with the crowd, waving and laughing at people. The centipede looked friskier than any centipede had a right to look. And then the race began. The gun sounded. See, at the first start of a race, there's a runner experiences what is called the pleasure stage. When you run at that point, your body's loose, your heart's pumping, your blood's flowing, your head's clear, your lungs breathe deep. Birds are singing, the sun is shining, fish are jumping, the cotton's high, daddy's rich, and mama is good looking. It's called the runner's high. How long the runner high lasts depends on your conditioning. For me, it makes it about 10, maybe 15 feet. (laughs) And then the running becomes drudgery, and the drudgery becomes effortful, and eventually it becomes laborious. And if you keep going long enough in a race, you reach a point where the temptation to quit is really overwhelming. Your legs begin to feel searing pain. Your lungs feel like there are burning coals at the bottom of them. And the runners speak of this stage as hitting the wall. Now, how long it takes for you to hit the wall depends on your conditioning. Again, for me, it's about 15 to 20 feet. And to run at this stage, to hit the wall and keep going is the true test of a runner. A race isn't won or lost. The race is completed or abandoned when you hit the wall. Now, at this stage in the L.A. Marathon, things got very interesting. T-Bone, the clown, was not laughing anymore. 
Mr. Flower Man had wilted into oblivion. The human centipede was hanging over the fence, didn't look good at all. All 13 centipedal stomachs in revolt at the race. And at the end of that race, people just kept dribbling in one at a time. See, the start of the race is fun. The start of the race is easy. Finishing is hard work. Finishing well is the mark of a true runner. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that one of the best concepts of applying God's power in our daily lives, which is what we're talking about in this series, comes down to the word faith. And faith is really simply walking in the direction you discern God is leading you and looking for God to show up somewhere between what? Here and there. Well, here's the problem. Oftentimes, the race gets very hard between here and there. Oftentimes, people quit between here and there. Oftentimes, God is wanting to do something deeper in us between here and there. So here's the question of the day. Will you run the race of faith even when it gets hard? Even when you hit the wall? Will you persevere? Because here's what I know about the race of faith based on this passage from Hebrews is that the race will have a lot of hindrances, a lot of setbacks, a lot of distractions. These are the challenges that every person in this room and in this world will face if you choose to follow Jesus. But here's what I also know about that thing called challenges. The same power that equipped Jesus to run his race. The same power that strengthened Jesus to keep going when his enemies attacked him and his friends abandoned him and his father forsook him on the cross. The same power that allowed Jesus to overcome death, hell, and the grave. It is that same power that is available to ordinary people like you and me that we can keep running. Now I want us to grasp this truth. So we're going to look at just a kind of a snippet from the life of one of the great champions of faith that is mentioned in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. I want us to see that it is really possible to keep going even though you hit a lot of distractions, setbacks, and hindrances. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 11 now about this guy named Moses. It says, By faith Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw the child was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith, he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel." Now, most of you have seen the movie Prince of Egypt or you've seen the Ten Commandments or you've seen some kind of depiction of Moses' life probably. So you will remember probably that Moses' race didn't start off great. He took the life of an Egyptian, uh, of an Egyptian. He ran into the desert and really that's where he thought his days were numbered. And it was in the desert, in the wilderness, that Jesus, or excuse me, Moses comes to face to face with his destiny because God called Moses from this burning bush. And what God is telling Moses is that, listen, your race is not over yet, man. You have a bigger part in my story to play. The race isn't over. And this is true of anyone who God calls into the race. 
you will have to decide whether you will overcome setbacks and hindrances to running it. Now Moses gives a list of reasons that he cannot lead the people of Israel. I'm just going to focus on one for just a moment here. I think it's very common in our day. And I'll explain it by one of the most profound statements about the human condition that I've ever heard. I heard it a long time ago. Many of you will know it. It is from someone I have admired really from the first time I ever met him. Most of you will know him. This guy loves to sail. He is in tremendous physical condition. He eats unbelievably healthy food all the time. He dates someone by the name of Olive Oil. And his name is Popeye, the sailor man. If you remember, when he got sad, when he made a mistake, when he did something wrong, especially when Popeye felt inadequate, he would always say the same thing. Anybody remember what he would say? I am what I am. And if he was really convinced that he had messed up, he would often say, I am what I am, and that's all I am. In other words, don't get your hopes up. Don't you expect too much from me. See, Popeye wasn't a sophisticated guy. Popeye never went to therapy. Popeye was not in touch with his inner child. He wasn't a very educated man. He was a simple, pipe-smoking, tattoo-wearing, seafaring sailor man. I am what I am. And I want you to know that that's really the sad lament of the human race sometimes. Every person in this room will have to set aside hindrances that keep you from not only running the race, but finishing the race. And it's very ironic because I think about Moses and I imagine him saying in his heart when God came to him in the desert, God, if you had come to me 40 years ago, (laughs) I was young and I was educated and I was strong and I had status. Listen, I was even Pharaoh's friend. He loved me. I could have done anything you asked of me then. And now I'm just a broken down shepherd in the desert. I'm a fugitive from justice. I'm a murderer. I am what I am. Now, I want you to know that I have said those same kind of words. Now, I may not have killed anyone outwardly. But I know and you know what it's like to have a heart weighted down by guilt. You know what it's like to be awake at night and be thinking about all the things that you may have done or should have done or could have done or didn't do right. And we say to ourselves, I can't do this, God. Don't get your hopes up. I am what I am. And God says to Moses what he says to you and what he says to me. And God says to a million other Moseses just like us. I know who you are and it doesn't matter. It is irrelevant and the reason it's irrelevant is because I'm going to be with you, Moses. Your sin, your guilt, your limitations, your shortcomings, they are not only the ultimate truth about you any longer. See, you yam what you yam, but you yam not yet what you yam going to (laughs) be. Say that ten times fast. (laughs) What I'm saying to you is that this is the great promise of grace from God. God is inviting Moses to live in grace. Some of you who are here today, and the truth is you love God, but you've not been living in grace. You have beaten yourself to death. You live in guilt and shame all the time over something you did. You're a liar or a thief or you broke some vows or you're a failure or a sinner. You just say all the time to yourself, I am what I am. And you need to hear this very clearly. God says to you here today, yes, you are who you are, but you're not yet who you're going to be. 
I know who you are, God says. And it doesn't matter. And I want you to know that you will have to constantly set aside this whole feeling of inadequacy and this hindrance, if you will, of inadequacy if you're going to run your race. Now, I don't know what it is for you. It could be a challenge of a relationship. It could be something about your patience. It could be a personal weakness. It could be some fear that you wrestle with. But whatever it is, you will have to get up every day and you have to set it aside and say, today I will run the race free of this hindrance. So the first thing the Hebrew author says is we've got to overcome the challenge of hindrances. And then he gets to the real challenge. He says, not only will you have to overcome hindrances, but you're going to have to run with perseverance, which means you're going to encounter setback after setback after setback. I promise you, if you live long enough, you will face incredible obstacles in your life. And the one decision that you will have to make over and over and over is whether you give up, whether you abandon the race, or whether you press forward. Let's go back to Moses. This is a great story. Moses is afraid that the Israelites, his people, won't listen to him. But amazingly, in response to God's call, Moses sets aside his objections, all the things he can't do, and he answers the call. And when he goes to the people, it's crazy, but the people believe him. Remember Moses and Aaron go and they bring the word of God and they do these signs. And it says the people believed and bowed down and worshiped God. And Moses just breathes this huge sigh of relief. And he's like, I did it. I faced my worst fear and the people believed. So the worst is over, right? Now they're off to the races. Now it's promised land time. It can't get any worse than this, right? So Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. Very bold. Here's what they say. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go so they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. I mean, this is like a prophetic formula. Thus says the Lord. Guys, you ever have your wife say that? Thus says the Lord. Take the trash out. (laughs) Whatever. It comes with authority and it comes with power. I mean, they don't even ask for permission. <laughs> they just says, thus says the Lord. And then this odd thing happens. Pharaoh decides not to play ball. Pharaoh is downright uninterested in granting their demand. I mean, let's look at it from his perspective. He's losing his labor force. So Pharaoh responds and he says, Who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Now, their response begins with a little particle that's a little difficult to translate into English. But roughly it means, roughly, I pray thee. This is beautiful. I pray thee, the God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Let us go three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God. Or he will fall on us with pestilence or sword. Now, their response this time is very different to Pharaoh. No more of this, thus says the Lord stuff. Now it's God of the Hebrews, which is actually the term the Egyptians used for God. It was their name for this little tribal God that they thought that the Israelites worshipped. See, it's no more of let, go, let my people go business. Now it can be translated more like this. Here it is. Thus says the Lord. Pretty please? And Pharaoh replies, why are you taking these people away from their work? They have too much time on their hands. And you know the story. 
They then have to gather their own straw to make bricks. He makes it increasingly difficult on them. He says, let heavier work be laid on them. Then they will labor at it and pay no attention to deceptive words. (laughs) See, uh, Pharaoh's not into servant leadership at all. He says, who is this Yahweh? Go back to work. Well, see, that's not what Moses signed up for. The Israelites thought, well, we might as well go to Pharaoh. We're slaves already. It can't get any worse. And then guess what? It gets worse. That's the way life works, friends. Sometimes it does get worse. If this is hard for Moses, that people that Pharaoh responds this way, think about what happens when he has to go back and tell the people. The people don't say, hey, thanks for leading us, Moses. Hey, thanks for uh, having this compelling vision. We knew there was going to be roadblocks and hindrances and distractions. You know what, Moses? Don't worry about it, buddy. We're going to roll up our sleeves and make bricks without straw for a little while. Anybody think people will do that? Instead, they complain. They say, we don't want to make bricks having together our own straw. What have you done? Literally, they said, you have made our fragrance stink before Pharaoh. That's a great line, isn't it? And put Pharaoh and put a sword in his hand to kill us. I want to tell you when you will be most tempted to quit. You'll be tempted to quit when things don't work out the way that you'll hope. But you'll especially be tempted to quit when you feel like you are all alone. And let me tell you something. Moses feels alone. One of my favorite stories about this whole thing is the former mayor of Chicago, Mayor Daley, the older Mayor Daley. He was famous for being a very hard guy to work for. And one day, one of his speech writers, his best speech writer, came and said, listen, I need a raise, Mayor Daly. I'm, I'm kind of struggling here, and I need more money. And Mayor Daly didn't like that at all. And he said, listen, I'm not going to give you a raise. Uh, you're getting paid more than enough. It ought to be enough for you to, that you're working for a great American like me. That's what he told him. And he thought that was the end of it. Until two weeks later, and Mayor Daly was asked to deliver a speech at a convention of veterans. And it was going to be a nationwide event. One of the things that Mayor Daly was kind of famous for was not reading his speeches until he got up to deliver them. And it created some very unique moments in Chicago history. So he got up to deliver this speech before a vast throng of veterans and a nationwide audience. And he went on about the great plight of the veterans in the country. He said, I'm concerned for you. I have a heart for you. I'm deeply convinced that this country needs to take better care of its veterans. And so today, I am proposing a 17-point plan to care for the veterans of this country. And by this time, everybody's very curious to what Mayor Daly is going to say. In fact, he's pretty curious himself. And he turns his page, and there he reads only these words on the next page. You're on your own now, you great American hero. You see, that's Moses, and that's sometimes us. Moses resists, and he keeps calling, and God persists. And finally, he gives in. He goes to the people, and it looks like it's going to work, and then he hits the wall. Pharaoh's against him. Egypt's against him. His own people turn against him. Only here's what I want you to hear very clearly. He wasn't alone. Because in his darkest moment, and this is the hinge of the whole story, When Moses has hit the wall, it says Moses turned again 
to the Lord. He turns to God. Granted, it's a prayer of lament, it's a prayer of complaint, but he turns back to God and he says, God, why have you done this? See, I just want you to know, when you hit the wall, friends, you have to choose who you're going to turn to. And God begins to speak to Moses and he says, Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. By a mighty hand, he will let the people go. By a mighty hand, he will drive them out of the land. God also spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. But what he says is, now, Moses, I'm making myself known to you. I'm renewing my covenant. So you go back to Pharaoh. And in one of the most poignant verses in the Old Testament, Moses told this to the Israelites But they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their cruel slavery. So Moses goes back to God again. (laughs) And the Lord speaks to Moses again. Go and tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of this land. Now you'd think by this time, maybe Moses is working up some strength. Maybe he's getting some courage. Maybe he's getting more determination. But listen to what happens. Moses spoke to the Lord. The Israelites have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, the poor speaker that I am? I like to think of Moses as a pillar of jello. That's the way it is sometimes. Thus the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders regarding the Israelites and Pharaoh, charging them to free the Israelites. Here's the deal God calls them again and again and again and again and again. And I'll tell you this, there's two things. If you're going to live in the power of God and persevere, the first one is you will have to do what Moses does over and over and over in your life. He gets a lot of things wrong. Moses wavers, he wobbles, his knees buckle, but he does one thing right. No matter the blockade, no matter the setback, no matter the choice, Moses just keeps turning back to God with persistence that is astounding. Jesus talked about this persistence quite a bit. He told a story in Luke 18 about a widow who needs justice. So she goes to her city official, her city alderman, and he's pretty weak. In fact, he's a corrupt politician, to be honest with you. Now, it's hard to believe that there's a such thing as a corrupt politician, but just use your imagination, okay? And Jesus says that this poor little woman has no connections, no money, no status. She's on welfare herself. She can't bribe him, but she calls him, writes him, emails him, faxes him, texts him, so long... That he finally says, just take care of whatever this woman needs and get her off my back. And Jesus says, listen, if you persist with corrupt politicians, how can you not persist with God who listens to his children with infinite patience, who longs to give good things to his kids? See, realize, friends, that sometimes the gift God wants to give you is growth. And the kind of growth that only comes when you persist again and again and again. And you hit the wall again and again and again. And you get back up and you keep running. Right now, I want you to think about the greatest challenge that you have in your life right now. I want you to think about an area of your life where you are ready to throw in the towel. In fact, truth is, maybe you already have. I'm just going to ask you in these last few moments to make a commitment that you will at least relentlessly go back to God again and again about this issue. 
This morning, will you draw a line in the sand and will you say, God, I need your power to persevere in my situation. And even if it never comes to pass, even if it never takes place, I refuse to give up, I refuse to give in, I refuse to quit the race. You will have to go back to God again and again. And one more thing and then we'll close. The writer of Hebrews says that we're given power to run this race because we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, there are other people that have run this race before you and there are people right now running this race alongside of you. You see, in the race, no one runs along. So if you're going to finish well, friends, you will have to find your own little cloud of witnesses. You will need to find people in your life who will say to you, just keep running. Some of you may remember Derek Redmond. Derek was an Olympic runner who had to withdraw from his race in the 1988 Summer Olympics 90 seconds before it was to take place. He had injured his Achilles tendon, and in the following four years, he had five surgeries in addition to the Achilles tendon repair. And miraculously, on Monday, August 3rd, 1992, in Barcelona, Spain, Derek Redmond lined up to run again in the 400-meter semifinals. The gun sounded, and then something happened about 100 yards into that race. The man who came down from the stands to assist Derek was his dad, Jim Redmond. With his arms around his son's waist and Derek's arm around his dad's shoulders, they walked to the finish line together. Ironically, the official rules of the race required that Derek's status for the race be listed as did not finish. But everyone there knew otherwise. See, he had someone to keep him running. In the L.A. Marathon that I talked about, there were some very strong, sleek bodies that participated. But there were some that didn't have such bodies. Seventy-seven people competed in wheelchairs. Forty-seven people who had Lou Gehrig's disease ran that race. One guy came from Honolulu, Hawaii. He was an amputee with only one leg. He ran the entire marathon. And with people lining the streets, and they would see him coming, they would cheer like crazy Just keep running, they'd say. Just keep running. See, some ran fast and some ran slow, but it didn't matter. They just kept running. I know you have a race to run in this room if you're here today. And not one of them is easy. I know. So I thought the way we'd end today was, I thought we could just be kind of like a great big cloud of witnesses for each other. Because if the church should be anything, it should be that. It should be a place where we just kept telling each other and keep telling each other, just keep running. I've asked some people to help me with this. And your part is, uh, the congregation is simply this, and that is to unite your voices like you're cheering for others around this room that are going to be identified. And it's just simply to say with one voice what it says on the screen here, just keep running. Friends, let me tell you something. Somebody sitting near you, maybe right beside you, or somewhere in this room, needs to hear these words this morning. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, may you help them persevere.